Today I am reading from the Gospel according to uh, Eric Hoffer, longshoreman and philosopher of the 1960s. Sayeth the prophet, we will talk about the middle class and why they are hated quite frequently by professors. To an elite, power means power over men. It cannot savor power by dominating nature, by moving mountains and telling rivers whether to flow. No elite would countenance, let alone promote, a state of affairs in which things happen of themselves without command and without obedience. In other words, a society much like America was until fairly recently. The middle class is the least elitist ruling class we have seen in history. Not only is it open to all comers, all colors, all religions, all people from the world, but it aspires to a state of affairs to which things happen of themselves and regulate themselves. Unlike other ruling classes, the middle class has found it convenient to operate in the assumption, which I think of as the American assumption, that if you leave people alone, they will perform tolerably well. And under no other ruling class have common people shown a willingness to exert themselves to the utmost and to make them and the nation as a whole extremely wealthy. It is this fabulously productive, more or less self-regulating chaos of a society, which has given the modern age its singular spirit and set it off from all preceding centuries. Regimentation and minute regulation are as ancient as civilization. Small wonder that elitists of all stripes, aristocrats, Marxists, fascists, imams, power-hungry intellectuals above all else, have viewed middle-class society in the modern age as abomination. And indeed, if you go to college nowadays, you will find that it is the middle of class that is excoriated. Just now, however, the middle class society is in deep trouble. Several paradoxes of the human condition have combined to turn its successes into critical failures. The accelerating rate of change, which is frightening to many, Though the change is mostly for the better, is upsetting and weakening traditions, custom, habits, routines, religion, all the arrangement that middle-class society, everyday life, self-starting and self-regulating. The education explosion is enormously increasing the number of people who want to live meaningful, relevant, and important lives but lack the ability to attain reverence, relevance, and significance by individual achievements. These lower-level intellectuals have been no end of trouble. The middle class must change. There is much talk now of the death of an age and the birth of a new one. Whether the middle class resolves the present crisis or is pushed aside by a new class. That age is waiting for us around the corner. Will not be new, but ancient. It will be an age preoccupied with the mastery of men, static and ageless, despite its advanced technologies. 
The indications are that the spirit of an age is not only a new phenomenon in history. This spirit of an age is a new phenomenon in history. But the signs are that it will be a short-lived one thing, will be a short-lived one-time thing. The trajectory into which the West was catapulted over uh, several hundred years ago is turning out to be a loop that curves back to where it started. And when we get back to the ancient rutted highway of history, we'll find that the revolutionary countries have arrived there before us, making good their boast that they are the wave of the future. I per personally, and perhaps you, shudder at the thought of a world run by self-important, self-indulgent, self-righteous, violent, clownish punks. It is now the fashion to contrast authority with human rights, as my, many have done in Portland, Oregon recently. But we are learning that the moment authority becomes ineffectual, most of our rights are nullified, nullified by the many-headed tyranny of anarchy. What should we do? Well, William James, a philosopher from about a century ago, said that the most crucial habit of an effective democracy is a fierce and merciless resentment toward any man or set of men who break the public peace. This must be done to preserve our freedom, to defend our democracy, but the authorities, well, the authorities that we see on television seem very sympathetic to those of great anarchy. So we will see what will happen. Eric Hoffer, the prophet I have so named, said that there's only one cure for cowardice that allows punks to run riot in the street. He said, anger is the only cure for cowardice. Anger is strong enough to overcome fear, but right now people are afraid to get angry. And so the punks continue to rule. Who slew America's hope? We were all there. Working men, businessmen, politicians, soldiers, old and young, rich and poor, learned and ignorant. But the murder weapon of middle-class free democratic society was forged in the radical chic salons of Manhattan and Washington, and in the word factories of our foremost universities. We will see who we will see who will win. And now for a nice story. Someone wrote in to a particular site and said. I am guessing it's pitch dark by the time the schools finish in Iceland. How do they make sure all the children get home safely? And this was answered by someone who grew up in Iceland. My sister and I grew up in a small village in northern Iceland and had about a half mile to walk to school. We walked along the dirt road that our house was on 
that intersected the main paved road that led to our school. There was virtually no traffic, so getting hit by a car was very, very unlikely. We could get run over by a cow or a sheep, perhaps, but not a car. We did indeed do most of our walking in the dark, but that was normal for us. Cold, wind, snow, and ice, and rain was also normal. The road was frequently covered in snow, which was nice but because we could ski to school. However, in the spring, when the snow started to melt, the dirt road turned to mud, deep, nasty, stinky mud, mixed in with large amounts of manure and rocks. That wasn't so nice to walk in. Over the years, or perhaps even decades, people had moved rocks to the side so that a crude sidewalk parallel the road. A bit slippery, perhaps, but that better than walking in the mud or the manure. If the road was really nasty, if the road, if the mud was deep and sloshy, our grandpa or father would give us a ride or pick us up on the old tractor we had. That was loads of fun. Sometimes we even got to drive it. Of course, we went out of our way to find the deepest puddles and nastiest, mushiest mud to navigate the tractor through. And if we were very, very lucky, the wonderful lady who lived next to us would let us ride to school on our beautiful horses. After we got to school, she would lead them all back home to her farm. And sometimes she would even be waiting for us after school so we could ride the horses back home again. As far as we were concerned, that couldn't get any better. Life was at its peak. So, at least where we lived, we didn't mind the dark one bit. In fact, we liked it when go out and play in the darkness after school. It was just a normal part of going up for us. We never even considered walking home in the dark alone could be dangerous, and about the only thing we worried about was some rascally kid bouncing an ice ball off of our heads, perhaps stepping in a big, fresh pile of manure. That darkness was our friend, and our grandma taught us to love and embrace it and never fear it. We grew up being naive and innocent, and it wasn't until we moved to the civilized world that we learned to be wary, not of the darkness, but of the humans who lurk in the darkness. <laughs>